The scripture reading today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were in a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they said, please the whole gathering, I'm sorry, and what they said, please the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Then they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to uh, see everyone this morning. Hopefully, we won't have the mic issues that we had last time as we go forward. I hope you guys are enjoying this brisk day Um, after a day of 102 or whatever it was yesterday. The 94 feels nice and brisk. But uh, let me just pray for us really quickly, and you can pray that I don't pass out while I'm up here, and then uh, we'll get into the message. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, all the gifts that you give us, and we thank you for your word by which you uh, teach us, convict us, mold us, transform us, and most of all, by which you reveal your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. So we pray above all that he would be made present and real and manifest through this word, and may I decrease, and may he increase, that he might receive all the glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, we're continuing our sermon series that Scott has titled, The Triumph of Jesus' Ministry, and what we're looking at in this series are the events in Jesus' ministry after his crucifixion, right? And like his resurrection, his ascension, and ascending of the Holy Spirit, and the impact and the uh, meaning uh, of those events, both for the earliest believers and by extension for us. And most of our time has been spent in the book of Acts, and we're here now in Acts 6. And our passage for today is a brief but important story. And uh, as a story, uh, it's a true story, but it's nevertheless a story. Uh, it has basic, the basic elements of a story. It has a setting, it has a conflict, it has a resolution, and then it has... <coughs> Or a solution, and then it has sort of an epilogue. Okay, and so that's how since that's how the passage is structured. That's how the sermon will be structured: the setting, the problem, the solution, and then the result. And so, really quickly, number one, the setting. All right, uh, this will be really quick. Uh, look at verse one. It says, "Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number." So the phrase, in these days, uh, refers back to the end of chapter 5, where if you remember, uh, the apostles continued to preach the gospel despite public uh, opposition and persecution. And in their ongoing and bold preaching, uh, the result has been an increase in the disciples. That increase is continuing to happen 
And it's explosive growth in numbers in the church that's the setting for our passage today. That growth is producing new challenges in the church. And keep this setting in mind because we're going to come back to it. So if that's the setting, right, then what are the specific problems that they're facing? We'll look again at verse 1, and this time at the second half. It says, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So in this passage, there are three quote-unquote problems. And I say quote-unquote because, as you'll see, at least a couple of them aren't really problems, uh, or at least they're good problems. Okay? And we can, each of these problems related to the issue of diversity. Okay? So first, the first problem is that there are vulnerable people in need in the church. And though the church in Jerusalem was probably overall relatively poor, uh, there are still those people who are more vulnerable than others, and specifically in this case, widows. Uh, Even though there are differences between the Old and New Testament uh, situations, throughout the Bible, widows are seen as one of the most vulnerable in society because of the patriarchal nature of, of the societies that the Bible is a part of. And that's why both the Old and the New Testament have specific commandments about caring for widows. And in addition, at least one scholar uh, notes that there are probably a disproportionate number of widows in Jerusalem at this time for various reasons. And so the first problem, quote-unquote, is the problem of a diversity of needs brought about by a socioeconomic diversity in the church. The second problem, then, that that the church is facing or challenge that it's facing is an organizational one or an administrative one. So if you remember, uh, in earlier passages, it describes how believers, when necessary, they sell their possessions, bring the proceeds to the apostles, and then the apostles distribute it. Now, that was fine early on when the numbers were relatively manageable. But just a couple of chapters earlier, Luke has already told us that there are at least 5,000 believers, which probably referred only to men, and the number has continued to grow since then. So you're probably talking about 20,000 plus. And these people, even though they're meeting in synagogues together, they're also beginning to meet in house churches, probably hundreds of them now, scattered throughout. And what they're trying to do is collect off our contributions every day, it says, from these people, organize them, distribute them as needed. You can imagine the incredible administrative challenge. And what's happening is that all of this is falling on the apostles. Right? And so the second problem is a lack of diversity in the leadership. The church has too few people doing too much of the work. A church with too few people doing too much of the work. I don't know if you are familiar with any churches like that. You may have heard of some. Okay, and so this, those first two problems, right, the challenge of uh, a diversity of needs, And the lack of a diversity in leadership is leading to, or at least it's revealing, a third problem or challenge. Okay? And and that third problem is a cultural or ethnic division. You'll notice that the verse speaks about a complaint raised by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Now, there's a lot of debate about exactly who these groups are, okay? Especially because the word Hellenist is used variously in the New Testament. Uh, but the Hellenists are probably Jews, okay, diaspora Jews, meaning Jews who were born and raised outside of Israel, who have since migrated back to Jerusalem. 
They probably speak Greek as their native language and furthermore are probably very culturally Greek, even though by faith and birth they are Jewish. The Hebrews, on the other hand, are people born and raised in Israel. Uh, they, even though they could probably speak some Greek because it was the official language of the day, their home language, their native language is probably a language called Aramaic, which is related to Hebrew. And what seems to be happening is that the Hellenist widows, uh, which probably, the Hellenists overall probably make up about 10 to 20% of the church, uh, aren't getting their proper share of the daily distribution. And it's important to note that there's no indication in the text that this is happening on purpose. It's probably the result of the administrative challenge that they're facing, a systemic challenge. Okay? Uh, and just by the sheer difference in the numbers of the two groups, Hebrews and Hellenists. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay. okay systemic problems produce really unjust results. Okay? And that's a whole other sermon that I'll say for another time. Okay? Um, but the point is that there's no indication that it's a purposeful prejudice. But what we see is that in a multicultural environment, a situation like that has the potential for suspicion, accusation, which can quickly lead to division. All right, we'll talk about this more in a little bit. And so this third problem, problem, quote-unquote, is the problem or challenge of cultural diversity in the church. So you can see that there are some real challenges facing the church. Diversity of need due to socioeconomic diversity, a lack of diversity in the leadership, and the challenge of ethnic or cultural diversity. But what I want you to see is this, that these challenges are present in the church because they are present in the city in which that church exists. Right? Remember the setting. Right? It's the continued growth of the church in Jerusalem. And so what's happening is that as the church grows in numbers, and a broader, an ever broader cross-section of the city is coming in, and as an ever broader section of the people of the city are coming in, an ever broader section, cross-section of the problems of the city are coming in. Right. Oh, you have huge numbers of widows vulnerable out there? We do too. Oh, you have too many needs and too few people willing to leave and serve? We do too. Oh, you have ethnic and cultural tensions and divisions? We do too. Because the people from the city are streaming in. Right? The church is not a fortress where we hide behind some safe walls, safely protected from the world and its problems. It's a hospital where the sick and the diseased bring all of their illness in so that they might be cured by the one great physician, Jesus Christ. The church is like a, a water treatment facility, right? Where dirty, polluted water, and that's all of us, is brought in, filtered, cleansed, purified, sent back out into the world for life-giving purpose. The church is not a place to run from the problems of the world. And if we are faithful to God's evangelistic call, and he blesses those efforts, then everything that we see out there is going to make its way in here. But the difference is that in the church, those problems are being addressed by the one true solution, the power in transforming gospel. 
and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So that in the church, God is revealing the redemptive power of Christ over all things and providing a glimpse, however partial, however imperfect, of the heavenly city to come. In the church, he is building the city within the city. Now, I want to challenge us about reflecting a great, greater diversity of our surrounding community. It is my prayer that we would begin to see more of the problems out there make their way in here so that God might reveal to us and to a watching world just how sufficient a Savior, just how versatile a Redeemer, and just how mighty a King Jesus really is. So I want to challenge us about reflecting a greater diversity of our community, both its people and therefore its problems. Specifically in regards to the two areas uh, in this passage. First, I want to challenge us about having more of the most vulnerable in our surrounding community be a part of our church. I want to applaud all the efforts we're already making to serve those around us. I really do. I'm so grateful and I'm really challenged. And yet I want to challenge us about seeing the various people we're serving become a part of our community here. This is important for a variety of reasons. Okay, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that people who see other people as friends and not as projects invite them in to all aspects of their lives, and especially something as important and essential as their church community. To not invite the people in the community whom we serve into this central aspect of our lives often betrays implicitly a hey. Let's keep this professional. Let's maintain a certain safe distance between us. Yes, I want to serve you, but I'm not sure that I would actually like my life to become intertwined with you. Kind of spirit. There's an old Seinfeld episode where George, he has his work friends and whatnot, and then he had, you know, Jerry and his crew. And one day, much to his dismay, his worlds collide. And the whole episode was about his growing angst as his worlds collide. Because he said, I have work and I have friends and they cannot meet. They cannot meet. Right? And all of them, too many of us are like that. We, we have the people that we're willing to serve, especially those with great needs, but at arm's length. But at arm's length. I want to challenge us so that their problems, challenges, vulnerabilities become not just their problems, challenges, vulnerabilities, which we try to help, but they become our challenges, problems, burdens, which we not only try to solve, but which we bear together as they come streaming in to the church. The second area that I want to challenge us about is whether we are going to reflect our community in its ethnic and cultural diversity I don't think we need to do a detailed survey to conclude that we don't very accurately reflect the demographics of our surrounding neighborhoods. And let me preface before going any further, let me say that this is a complex issue and there's no way that I can address all of the nuance, okay? So if you want to talk more about it afterwards, please come talk to me. But I just want to quickly highlight six things in regards to this issue, okay? First... We have to acknowledge that there's no such thing as a cultureless church. 
Every church is going to have a culture, or what you might call a lead culture. Okay? And even churches that are very multi-ethnic or very multicultural, which aren't quite the same thing, have their own culture. Okay? This is inescapable. Okay? No church, uh, therefore, can be all things to all people. And that's okay. Second, with that in mind, and though there are times when monocultural churches are appropriate, I believe that churches are called to make every effort, every effort, to be as diverse as possible. And a good starting goal, if you will, is that the church should reflect its immediately surrounding community. And as I mentioned, I think we see this in this passage. The number of Hellenists in the church are roughly the same as the number of Hellenists in Jerusalem itself. Third, then, having a diverse multicultural church is hard. It is very, very hard. We see that in this passage. As I mentioned earlier, what seems like a failure, just sort of an organization, becomes an occasion for suspicion and accusation. When you have multiple cultures living in community together, the potential for misunderstanding, suspicion, and therefore conflict is exponentially increased. And the things that were so natural and that you could do without thinking now require a lot of thought. Take, for example, humor. Humor is one of the deepest, most meaningful bonding experiences we have as human beings, right? You share a good laugh with someone, you immediately feel close to them. Humor is also, in many respects, oftentimes, the least translatable thing we've got. Right? Have you ever tried to translate a joke to somebody? Right? It just doesn't work. It makes no sense because humor relies on a bunch of shared knowledge, shared expectations, shared sort of expectations about how the story is going to turn out, and then, oh, it goes the other way. But if you didn't know that's how that story was supposed to turn out to begin with, it's not funny at all. And so, in a multicultural environment, a multi-ethnic environment, Humor, which is such a bonding experience usually, can become an occasion for feeling left out, for misunderstanding. And growing, And growing into a diverse church is even harder if diversity wasn't part of the original DNA. And because of these and many other difficulties, most people either don't try at all or they give up very quickly especially when their initial attempts are criticized or met with suspicion or cynicism or flat-out rejection. And especially if you're a member of the majority culture, when things like that start to happen, you're going to start saying to yourself, why am I doing this? I don't need this headache. But if cultural and ethnic barriers exist out there, shouldn't we also have to deal with them in here so that God can reveal to us and to the watching world the unifying power of the gospel? Fourth, having a diverse church will mean dying to yourself, your comfort, your rights, your preferences on a regular basis. Christian diversity and Christian unity in diversity isn't a matter of tolerance but of death. Christ-imitating, cross-shaped, spirit-empowered, death to yourself. 
We see this, for instance, in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul is trying to bring two cultures within single churches together. And this dying can take many forms. It can mean listening for much longer than you normally would. It can mean sometimes graciously repeating yourself over and over so that the person might understand your different perspective. It might mean choosing to interpret ambiguous things in the best possible light rather than with suspicion and in the worst possible light. It might mean singing songs that don't really resonate with you, at least initially. It might even, it might even mean going from the majority to the minority. That's one of the issues facing the Jews in the New Testament. Not only are the Gentiles coming into the church, which is itself mind-blowing to them, but over the course of time, they are beginning to greatly outnumber. And it brings up major issues and questions for the Jews as this progresses. And it will definitely mean giving up some power. Something we'll talk about when we look at the solutions. Fifth, churches with this type of diversity, really both socioeconomic diversity and cultural diversity, aren't going to happen overnight. This isn't a summer project or a two-year plan. It comes about as we really live life with our neighbors, our physical neighbors, over the course of years. It comes about as we share meals and games, laughter and tears, births, first steps, first days of school, child school plays, graduations, first jobs, weddings, illnesses, divorces, deaths together. This is the work of years and sometimes of generations. Sometimes of generations. But one of my favorite quotes of all time is this one. People tend to greatly underestimate, overestimate what can be done in one year and greatly underestimate what can be done in ten. I had the privilege to be out in Los Angeles a couple of months ago and visit a church uh, that's on the sort of south part of Los Angeles in an area called... It's just east of Compton. So Compton's here, the L.A. River, which has no water now. It's just concrete. River's here and then Paramount's here. And I was talking to the lead pastor there and his father... Uh, became the pastor there in the 70s so this, and then he succeeded his father and so they've been there and when they first got there that uh, neighborhood was considered one of the worst neighborhoods in the country for its size he remembers a, seeing a dead body on the street that he grew up on if you walk down that street today you would swear it's a postcard right? it's been so cleaned and the church itself has just rooted itself on this block well, anyway, I was talking to him, and he was talking about the challenge of turning the neighborhood around. And he said, and how does it happen? He said, it doesn't happen in four years. It happens in 40. It's the work of generations. So sick, given all the challenges and the great perseverance required, we have to understand that diversity in the church and unit in that diversity isn't a social issue. It's not about political correctness. It's not about diversity for diversity's sake. It isn't about white guilt or anything else. It's about the gospel. It's about the fact that there is one creator in whose image all the peoples of the earth are made. 
It's about the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's about the fact that the promise to Abraham included the blessing of all the nations through his offspring, which we learn in the New Testament is ultimately Christ and all those who are united to him by spirit-produced faith. It's about the fact that part of the great prophetic vision of the kingdom of the Messiah includes people from all nations streaming into Jerusalem to worship God together. It's about the fact that Ephesians 2 draws an intimate connection between the gospel and the breaking of the division between Jew and Gentile and making one people from the two. It's about the fact that Ephesians 4 declares that there is one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And it is about the worth and the power of the blood of Jesus. Revelation 4, 5 depicts the worship of God in heaven. And the worship climaxes with these words to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Jesus purchased a diverse people by his blood. And so we pursue diversity in the church because of the worth of the blood by which it was purchased. And we pursue that diversity because of the power of that blood by which it was purchased. Because the blood didn't make a diverse people possible, it purchased it. It will come to pass. And so we pursue it with great hope. So having seen the problem, what was the specific solution? If you look at verses 2 through 6, right, you basically see that it involved the selection and appointment of some qualified people to oversee the distribution of the material resources. And uh, I just want to really quickly highlight four things about this. And this will be shorter than this first section. Okay. Number one, the apostles hear the complaint and respond to it without defensiveness. Okay. They could have done a lot of things. They could have just asserted their authority and shut the criticism down. They could have rebuked the Hellenists for their tone, because in the Greek, there's the implication that the uh, Hellenist complaints were analogous to the Israelites' complaints in the wilderness. They could have just gotten discouraged that their attempts at mercy ministry weren't going perfectly, or gotten bitter that people weren't being appreciative about it. And in either case, they could have thrown themselves a pity party, or just kind of up and quit, They could have said, why don't you Hellenists start your own church? But the answer to the challenges brought by diversity isn't to reduce the diversity. But rather than do any of those things, they listen and they make the necessary changes. The second thing I want to note about this solution then is that God's provision for the diversity of needs and challenges was a diversity of gifts and callings. The apostles began to recognize, look, we have to focus on the particular thing that God has entrusted to us, the proclamation of the gospel, because we are the specifically appointed eyewitnesses of his resurrection, and the rest of this we're going to hand on 
And if we are going to really answer all of the challenges and opportunities before us to bear witness to the gospel in this neighborhood, we need every gift. We need every gift, every person to say, here I am. Here I am. Until then, there will always be these bottlenecks and all of these tensions and all of these frustrations right? because too much is falling on too few. The third thing about the solution is the process itself. Specifically, what I want to point out is this. If you look at verse 2, right, it says this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourself, from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. I want to focus on that last phrase, full of spirit and wisdom. Right? They weren't just allowed to pick anybody. Right? This wasn't supposed to be a popularity contest or, hey, he's kind of a nice guy. Let's put him in there. Okay? Um, now that phrase, full of spirit and wisdom, probably doesn't mean two separate things, but one single thing. They had to be full of the spirit. And in this particular case, that fullness of the spirit had to reveal itself in wisdom. And if you think about the complexity of the issues that they're facing, right? diversity of needs, Diversity of ethnicities, you realize why they need wisdom. And this need for wisdom is something we need to take more seriously, I think. We too often want to skate by on just good intentions. But good intentions aren't everything. They're important. They're not everything. You can, with very good intentions, really screw somebody up. I remember being in a... uh, gas station one time in my hometown of Atlanta and someone, there's a gas station right near my parents' house and I was in there buying uh, a Diet Coke um, and this man walked in and he apparently wasn't from around there and he asked, oh, how to get to such and such a place? The clerk behind the desk, behind the cash register with all sincerity, with every good intention, began to tell him how to get to this place. As I'm listening, I realize if he drives that way in about 45 minutes, he is going to be about 70 miles away from where he's trying to get. So I didn't want to embarrass the guy, so I waited. It was probably kind of creepy, you know, because I was first, and I got outside, waited, and then told him, oh, actually, that's not how you get there, okay? Um, Intentions aren't everything. Those good intentions have to manifest themselves in a commitment to grow in wisdom. A commitment to grow in wisdom. And I suspect that one of the reasons why many of us are in such a rush to do something or are so unwilling to take the time to prepare, to gain wisdom, is that much of our service is at least partially driven by a need to feel good about ourselves, to feel like we're making a difference, a contribution. And trying to fulfill that need, we sometimes hurt people through misguided efforts at service, as well-intentioned as they are. Those good intentions need to work themselves out, not just in effort, but in the quiet background commitment to the growing of wisdom. Finally, the last thing about this solution that I want to point out is that it involves a surrendering of some power to others. This occurs at two levels in this passage. The first is the obvious one, the apostles letting some other leaders step forward. The second one is a little less obvious. It was the Hellenists who raised this complaint. And if you look at the leaders who were chosen, 
all of their names are Greek names. Now by, that, by itself, that doesn't prove that they were all Hellenists, but within the context of this passage, they, almost pro- they probably were all Hellenists. And even if they're not all Hellenists, at least two of them are definitely Hellenists. Stephen, who has a major part in the next section, and the last one, Nicolaus, who's not even a Jew by birth at all. He's a convert to Judaism, who then became a believer in Jesus. So there was the surrender of power from the apostles to other leaders, but also from the Hebrew Jews to the Hellenist Jews, allowing them to lead, to provide input, to shape the ministry. That's really important as we go forward, as we try to be a part of this community and really work not just for this community, but with it. Because God has already been at work. And to not draw people in and to invite them into the leadership and to get get their input is to betray the idea that somehow they, that we are the Savior. And they are simply waiting for us. No, they're not. God has been here long before we got here. He's here even when we're not paying attention. He'll be here long after we leave. Many of you know that I'm involved in this afternoon basketball ministry. And uh, one of the things I'm really praying for on a short-term and long-term basis, one of the things I'm praying for is if we do this again next year, that we are going to uh, get input from these young guys. Hey, what could we do better? Do you want to be co-captains? Hey, what are some ways that more of your friends could come? All of these sorts of things. What color do you want your jersey to be? Right? Oh, whatever it is. But to really allow them in and to let our need to get this thing right and controlled and whatever. And say, hey, by saying so, declaring to them, We believe in what God is doing in you. This isn't, again, a politically correct issue. It's a gospel issue to be able to see people through the lens of the gospel and to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to call, to change, to equip, and to use people who look very different from you and who maybe don't have all the resources that you've had. They don't have the letters of the degrees behind their name or whatever, and yet God has prepared them. So we've seen that the solution involves. So lastly then, the result. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The gracious and wise resolution of the challenges that we saw led to the increased spread of the gospel throughout Jerusalem. And as the church resolved these challenges... But brought about by different kinds of people in the church, the gospel made its way to a new group of people who apparently, hither up to this point, had been relatively resistant. May God, by His grace, do a similar thing among us. May He make us a church that reflects the city and the neighborhood in which we exist, with its diversity of needs and peoples. May we, motivated by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, joyfully engage the challenges that come with that kind of diversity. May he make us a people who can listen to input so that we can serve others better. May God continue to raise up ever-increasing numbers of servants and leaders full of the spirit and wisdom. And may the result of all these things 
be the increase of the word of God and the multiplication of disciples in our day and in our city for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that even as you nurture us and feed us and strengthen us in this place, we ask that you would bring all the challenges and all the peoples of this city streaming in and that we would joyfully receive those challenges and understand in the end that they are not only challenges but blessings from which to learn to grow, to depend on you, and most of all, to see you glorified as you work in this neighborhood and in this city and in our church. May you do these things. May your word go forward in increasing power. May the number of disciples in this city multiply greatly to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.